Well, I wanted to just wish you all Merry Christmas. You guys all doing all right? You excited about the big day tomorrow? Everybody got your gifts purchased? You're all ready to go? My wife and I are on a, a 8 a.m. plane to Vancouver in the morning, so we're excited to see her family uh, there for Christmas, but uh, glad you chose to spend some time with us this morning. And as we're talking about names, I wanted to ask you a question, maybe to provoke some thought, maybe even some interaction around the Christmas table what would you say if someone were to describe you would be four names that someone would use to talk about you? Four names. In fact, why don't you share with the person that you came with maybe one name that somebody might use to describe you, and we're only allowed to go with positives, all right? So one, one name that somebody might use to describe you, Chase, go ahead and share. Share for a second with somebody next to you a name someone might use to describe you. All right. It's tough, isn't it? It's tough to, to think about that because you don't want to say something so positive that it sounds like you're bragging, but you don't want to say like annoying and overbearing uh, because you don't want people to remember you as that either. But, but the, the names that were given for us that we're using, uh, some of you are still uh, chatting about this. Here, here, honestly, do this over your Christmas table tomorrow. Try that out. Take turns going around and having a share names that you think would describe the person. But usually, the, the reason I, or not usually, the, the reason I bring that up is because literally, this is exactly what God is doing as he's talking or thinking about 700 years before the Messiah comes. He's saying, these are some of the names that you're going to refer to this child, to this baby as. These, these are descriptors and not just titles, because titles, Mr. or Sir, those are kind of lost, but literally descriptors of what we can experience with Jesus Christ through relationship. And so if somebody's sharing names about you, they'd say, come up with, oh, they're compassionate, or they're loving, or they're a servant, because they've what? They've experienced that to be true in uh, their interactions with you, in their relationship with you. Well, the same with this verse, which is so beautiful. He's just describing Jesus. He's like, man, you're going to find him to be the wonderful counselor. You're going to find and experience him as the mighty God. You're going to experience him as the everlasting father, as the prince of peace. And my prayer for us as a church is that we don't miss out in experiencing all those things to be true about the Messiah this Christmas and ongoing. This morning, we're working through this text. We've already addressed the a wonderful counselor, the mighty God. And this, this morning, as we move forward in the verse, we're looking at the everlasting Father. Everlasting Father is a description. And if we're honest with ourselves, the, the word Father, there's not many words in the English language that evoke so much of an emotional response, right? There's a, a lot probably out of these descriptors of Jesus. That's probably the one that's the most personal or relational. A lot of things come to mind when you think of a, a father, some positive, some not so positive. Some of us going into the Christmas season, it might evoke the emotion of, of loss and the idea of sadness, missing a father, someone that was very important to us. Others, maybe on the more positive side, can when they hear the word father, father they're like, man, I'm so grateful for what a great dad I had. For me, that's the experience that I had growing up. Others, the word father 
might be exactly the opposite. It might evoke emotions of like anger or disappointment. Man, my dad never was this for me. But either way, regardless of what emotion is attached to that name for you, we can all agree that a father plays a key role in every single one of our lives. And so when we have this title that's given of the coming Messiah saying he's going to be the everlasting father, the one that, that meets us at the deepest of needs, that I would suggest is really good news. That's what we're going to explore this morning, but let me just commit our time in a word of prayer. God, thank you so much for this chance to be together at Christmas Eve, and as we get closer and closer to celebrating your birthday tomorrow, we are grateful people. We're grateful for these descriptors of you found in Isaiah, these perfect descriptors of you, of ways that we can experience you. I pray that even this morning that you teach us, you'd stretch us even in our understanding of you as the everlasting Father. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So we'll touch on everlasting Father this morning, and then this evening we're back for the very last one for Prince of Peace, so make sure you join us for that as well. This idea of a father, and I already hinted to this, really every single one of us is born with this vacuum or the, this father vacuum, this need for a father. As I mentioned, some not the greatest experience with their dads, not the best uh, things come to mind necessarily when you think about your father, sometimes a distant, sometimes uh, just a, you could fill in a lot of unfortunately negative blanks. Uh, for a lot of dads, but I was reading this week just some statistics that a lot of times the, the negative father is less of an issue in today's culture and more of the absent father in today's culture. We're in a day and age where the absence of dads and, and families is a, a growing epidemic. I was reading some statistics of some of the outcomes of that was, that was just blowing me away. Listen to some of these stats or statistics to uh, describe the, the, ho- the impact of a fatherless home. 90% of homeless runaway kids come from fatherless homes. 85% of youth in prison come from fatherless homes. 63% of youth suicide comes from fatherless homes. 71% of high school dropouts from fatherless homes. It's a real issue, this reality, because you recognize the, the key role every single one of us has, the, this desperate need for this father figure. And here's the crazy part about it. Even those of us that have a great father experience still have that vacuum because what God designed us for was a father role that only he could fulfill. And so even the best dad that's on the planet, the best thing that a dad can do, and I have to be reminded of this, even with my own son sitting in the front row here staring at me, uh, the the very best human father that a human father can do is to consistently point their kids to the everlasting father, the one father that doesn't change, the one constant, the one that can satisfy those deepest relational longings. I love the the truth about this as we think about Jesus Christ as being the everlasting Father. First off, uh, as I was working through this text, I'm like, that's a little bit weird description of a baby, right? 
And someone calls a baby like you didn't see your, your child, and you're like, look at this everlasting father. Like, no, no, but what's, what's different there is God was forecasting what was to come. He understood that this child, this beautiful baby born in a manger, was going to become that gap fill that we all desperately need, that we all long for. And really, he's not confusing, because sometimes you're like, well, wait a second, I thought there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Like, is he confusing the two? No, not at all. Here's the, the best understanding of this, is that the Messiah is father-like in his treatment towards us. He represents the heavenly father perfectly. I don't know if you've ever seen a, a picture of a father and son where the, the son totally resembles the dad or a baby. I was, I was trying to find like some, some pictures when I was uh, when Chase was younger where we actually looked more similar when he had less hair, so there was more of a, a resemblance. And, uh, and, and so couldn't find one. But anyway, you've seen the examples of a dad that looks just like uh, the, the son. Anybody seen that before? Or am I making this up as we go? Uh, but but so there's a resemblance often with a father and a son. And here's the, the truth is that's a little bit of the descriptor of Jesus Christ. He's the perfect representation. And that's where the description falls apart is because he's not just like the father. He's an exact representation of of the Father. That was hard for the disciples to understand. I thought it was interesting. I was reading this week where Philip was asking Jesus, in, uh, in the book of John was asking, when do we get a chance to finally see the Father? You might remember Jesus' words to him. Jesus specifically says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. All over Scripture, it's more than a resemblance hebrews 1 3 tells us that he referring to jesus is the radiance of the glory of god and the exact imprint of his nature or colossians 1 15 says this he referring to jesus is the image of the invisible god so he perfectly reflects the heart the heart of the father towards you you're like, well, how does that practically play out? Well, think about even as you've done some study of Jesus' life. When Jesus was compassionate towards the, the, the sick and the, the people that he crossed their path, it's because God the Father is compassionate for as, as he served the needs, it's as, as he served the needs of the poor and provided, it's because his Father cares about the needs of the poor. He perfectly represents the father because in nature and essence is all one in the same i was reading uh this week reminded of a story i think i shared it two uh, years ago but i'm going to share it again it was a story of a council that came together it's called the council of nicaea that gathered in 325 a.d and this council was kind of in the earlier years of the church where they're defining some of these things and making sure that everybody's on the same page with their understanding of the Trinity, of how God the Father and the Son relate, how they, they are literally one in the same, how Jesus is God in an earth suit. Well, this was, this was hard for people to grasp in that, that day and age. This is still for us to wrestle through what does the Trinity look like. Well, in the, this council that was happening in Turkey, they had some of the most important or critical religious leaders of that time coming to have this this uh, difficult conversation of making sense out of the Trinity. 
Well, there's one particular gentleman that was there at this council. Uh, his name was Arius, and he k- kind of uh, headed up the camp to make the argument that Jesus was simply just a man that had some similarities to God the Father, just a, a baby that was born that was representing God, kind of pushing back the whole idea of the deity of Jesus Christ. I thought it was interesting in this council meeting in the middle of discussion after Arius had a chance to present his case for Jesus just being a man, there's another one of the key religious leaders in the room that got up, went across the room, and jacked Arius in the jaw, punched him in the jaw. Do you guys know what the name of that that other religious leader was? His name was Saint Nick. Saint Nicholas, uh, some of you might know. In other words, Santa Claus punched this dude in the jaw for denying the deity of Christ. He literally, this tells the story, literally ended up going to jail for this. It was a big deal. I guess back then you weren't allowed to punch people in court settings. Uh, but there, uh, I guess that's still true. But, uh, but here, I, I think about that. Santa doesn't just bring a lump of coal to bad kids. He literally brings an uppercut. I love that story. For, so, so all of a sudden, I can get behind Santa uh, a little bit better. But it's true story, or at least they say, of how that played out at the Council of Nicaea was there with Jesus being supported by Santa. But because of this, this big idea, making sure that we would be crystal clear that he's the exact representation of the Father to us as his children. Let's talk about that a little bit of what that looks like practically speaking. What does the, the fatherly role of Jesus Christ look like in our lives? What does he provide for us? I think about even being a, a dad myself, probably one of the greater uh, roles that we play is feeling the weight of being a provider, being a provider. Any other dads feel the weight of that kind of growing up? You're like, man, that's a, that's a, the, a bigger uh, weight that we often carry. And here I love to think of Jesus as the perfect provider for us as his children. I was going through and we could, we could have a list of about 500 ways that he provides for us as a, as a loving father. But I wanted to just point a couple big ones. You can see them there on the screen. These ideas, the first one is he's the provider of life, the provider of life. This idea of him literally being the author and creator of man. And you're like, Scott, why are you bringing up with such an obvious one? Well, it's one of the, the key ones we see in scripture. John 1, 3 says this, all things were made through him, as he's talking about Jesus, and without him was not anything made that was made. I think that's a, a beautiful reality because if you're thinking about who would make the ideal father, wouldn't the best father be the one that literally designed you and knit you together? That, that came up with the, 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 the exact blueprint, the plan of making you, how better could you have it as far as a father goes? One that knows you inside out and not just knows you because he created you, literally sustains our life as well. Acts 17, 28 says, In him we live and move and have our being. It wasn't just like he created us and then stepped away. He literally designed us, made us, and then continues to provide life. 
do me a favor just for a second. Put your hand on your own heart for a second. Just feeling the, the, the beat of that. You think about the, him being the sustainer of life. You ever think again, stop, stop and pause and wonder, what keeps that, that heart beating? What keeps those lungs inhaling, exhaling? It, it, it's thankfully not something that's on our list of things to do to keep up with. It's literally something that he sustains because I would for sure forget one of those two things, right? Like I, I would for sure forget like, this, how, do you, how would you sleep? That whole idea of him being the ongoing sustainer and provider of life as the perfect father. The next one there you see on the screen is the idea of him also not just being the separate God that created us and stepped away as some would present, but literally he's actively involved in our life giving good counsel. For some of you here in the, the room that have a, a good experience or good relationship with a father, you appreciate the ability to, to call and get advice from a, a father. I know that's one of the things I really uh, see as a, as a blessing in my own life, the, the willingness of my dad, and he's got plenty of suggestions for everything. Uh, but here's the, the idea of counsel. We talked about it a couple weeks ago, this idea actually just last Sunday, about him being the wonderful counselor. Wonderful, having the idea that it's jaw-dropping, miraculous counsel. The counsel that he gives, you're like, man, I can't believe he saw into that situation so perfectly. That's the counsel that the everlasting Father wants to give to us. It's funny because as a younger man, I wasn't quite as uh, interested in good counsel. Anybody else go through that era of life where you kind of thought you had it all figured out? But as you get older, you start to realize, hey, the counsel that's even found in here is so wonderful. The, the uh, stuff that you can avoid by staying in the, the track within the boundaries of God's plan. When I was younger, I'd be like, oh, man, it's just a kind of a killjoy. It keeps us from doing all the fun stuff. But literally, the longer you live, the more you realize, man, it's, it's, it's boundaries with our best interest in mind. I love this quote by Mark Twain. It says this. It says, When I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. Whew. But then here's what he responds later saying. But when I got to 21, I was astonished how much the old man had learned in seven years. That's really a picture of mankind, and literally the longer we live, the longer we walk, we experience, we're like, man, I'm grateful for God's counsel in my life. It's displayed through His Word, it's displayed through other people speaking His Word into our life. So He's the giver, a provider of life, provider of counsel, also the provider, you see it there on the screen, the provider of strength. When I was about uh, six years old, I had, uh, I remember, I have uh, very few memories from that season of life, but I do remember one particular conversation that I had with my best friend. His name was Sherm. It was short for Sherman. And I remember us sitting one time in the middle of the afternoon, and we're in this long, extended conversation debating whose dad was stronger. Anybody ever have that conversation as a kid? And, and it's funny, as I reflect back, his dad was like massive. He was a huge man, and my dad was not. And I was like, I was like, I was, I was fighting an uphill battle. But I, if you think about this, if you think about this reality, when we're describing, I wish I would have thought of this when I was six years old. That literally, 
the Father that we have, the everlasting Father, the mighty God, is the strongest possible Father you could ever hope for. Anytime you ever get in an argument again about whose dad is stronger, you should be able to win just by pointing to this Isaiah passage because you have a mighty God. You have a God that literally, there's nothing that crosses your palette of experiences. There's nothing that crosses your path that hasn't already run through his approval process. And there's nothing in your life that he can't alter. There's nothing he can't rescue you from. There's nothing he can't carry you through. He is the mighty God. That's good to know as the provider in your life. I love what 2 Thessalonians 3 says, 3, 3 says, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. In his strength, he wants to support you as his child. So, life, counsel, strength. And then the last one, we see it in John 15, 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. We have a, a Father who loves us dearly. Loves us so preciously, he cares about us. But what I find interesting, the longer I'm a dad, is there's really two types of love that I would suggest he displays in our life. One part is the kind that we lean or gravitate towards more often. Kind of the, the nurturing, the coddling love. But uh, that, that, that's, that's so often an important thing. But as you look at the life of Jesus Christ and his love displayed, there's a second side of that love I would suggest as well. The kind of love that corrects, the kind of love that rebukes, that calls us out in our ignorance. Anybody grateful for that type of love, even though we don't necessarily in the moment appreciate it? That's the kind of love that this loving Father offers to us. The one that will call us out and also the one that will give us the big, deep bear hug. These are some of the areas that he provides in our life. And I, I love it that this isn't just a provision for a one-time moment in time. It's literally an ongoing, what does the word use as we're describing this father? An everlasting father. An everlasting father. One of the highlights of my season of uh, working at Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago as a larger church there was the season that we had one of the pastors there that was one of the teaching pastors in addition to James McDonald. His name was Joe Stoll. That name might ring a bell for some of you. He was the, the president of Moody Bible Institute for many years, was a, a pa pastor and conference speaker. But he was one of those guys that you got around and you're like, man, I just want to spend as much time as possible around this man because clearly he had walked for a long time with the Lord. I don't know if you have somebody like that in your life that you're like, oh man, it's just refreshing to be around him. Well, he was kind of at the season of life getting closer to retirement where when he preached, it was just kind of one story after another, kind of like a grandpa sitting up there just telling story after story. Well, I remember one specific one that he told that stuck in my mind as it relates to this everlasting father. He's like, you know what? He's like, as I look back at my life, as I reflect back, it's like, I kind of see it as like a train ride. It's okay, okay, let's hear what Grandpa has to say about this. And you're listening in. He's like, you know what? I kind of see it as having a whole bunch of stops. And on those stops, you have people that get on the train with you. Then the next stop, they might stay for one or two stops, and then they get off the train. Then you have other stops along the, the road, and he's kind of reminiscing. 
And he's like, and then people come and go. He's like, but what I've noticed after all the years on this train, and when I think about who's still on the train, and there's lots of friends that I love dearly that they're, they're no longer to be seen on the train. It's not because they, 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 we, we don't care about each other, love each other. He said, but the few things, or the few people that are still on that train after all these years, what do you think he said? My family, a few close family members. And he said, and the one that's the most constant is my God. The one, that, the one that's most constant. That's all, every single one of the stops, as I reflect back on, on my days, every single one of them, he was constant, he was consistent, he was the everlasting Father. He's the one. He's the one that, that provides during the difficult times. He's the one that carried me through, and he's going through all these descriptors of the way that God had been the everlasting Father in his life. Now, this description of everlasting isn't talking about Jesus' eternality. For sure, that's a reality and, and part of this descriptor. But what he's, the bigger than that, what he's saying is that he's my father forever, forever. He's not going anywhere. He, he's not getting off on some stop a few stations down. He's literally in this with you for the long haul. And if there's any Christmas gift that we can talk about this, this morning, that would be one of the greatest ones I could suggest to you, that we have an everlasting Father, one that's not going to change, the one that's constant, the ones that's constantly going to be there. I have a friend from the church here that actually does a little bit of counseling to, to bit successful businessmen, and uh, kind of at the halftime in their life where they're deciding what's the next season going to look like as they've kind of done the successful business thing. And he's like, he was telling me, he's like, it's shocking to see how many of these men, if you're really going to get past all the success, he's like, they still have this longing for a father. They have all these father wounds, these pieces that, that they're like, oh man, I wish I could fulfill this, I wish I could do this. And when he gets to the root of it, he's like, man, it almost always goes back to a dad stuff. It almost always goes back to it. For us, when this baby literally invaded this planet, broke through, intervened on our behalf. He came to provide that everlasting Father that these businessmen are desperate for, that you and I are desperate for, whether we realize it or not. He wants to play that role in your life. He wants to be the wonderful counselor. He wants to be the mighty God. He wants to be the everlasting Father. That's what we celebrate this morning as we approach Christmas. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you so much for this reality that these aren't just names or titles, but they're what was intended for us to experience with you. The perfect Father, the perfect provider, the one that meets us exactly at our points of need, the one that fills gaps where other fathers fail. We praise you for that. We thank you for the good news of Christmas that comes in these descriptions. God, I ask even for the person that's here this morning that maybe this topic of father is, is a difficult one. God, I pray that this would be even a, a word of encouragement. The person here this morning that maybe has a, a great dad, that still this would be a, a word of encouragement. We thank you for the constant reminder that you're going to be with us forever. The perfect, everlasting Father. We praise you for that. 
In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Well, I just want to wish you all a Merry Christmas. I really hope you can make it back this evening. Otherwise, God bless you. Have a wonderful next couple days celebrating his birth.